Hey y'all, before we begin, I want to share with you that my online course, The Neurodiverse Classroom, is available now for elementary teachers. You can enroll anytime at learnwithdremily.com slash teachers. I created this course because every classroom is already a neurodiverse classroom. You became a teacher because you love watching students thrive, but you're starting to question if you can meet the needs of such a diverse group of learners. I see you. You are emotionally exhausted, especially after the past three years, but you're not alone and I'm here to help. So if you're ready to learn how to connect with every student and unlock their spark for learning again, sign up at learnwithdremily.com slash teachers. That's learnwithdremily.com slash teachers. Okay, y'all, let's start the show. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast, where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, child psychologist and former school psychologist specializing in raising and teaching children and teens diagnosed with autism, ADHD, anxiety, learning disabilities, and or giftedness. Each week, I share my thoughts on a topic related to psychology, parenting, education, or parent-teacher collaboration, which you can read on my blog or listen here. If you want to learn more about me and my online resources for parents and teachers, just visit learnwithdremily.com, and let's get started. So before we get going today, I have a note for everyone. If you're a parent who has been following me for a while, you have likely noticed a pivot in my work to include teachers in our discussions. This is intentional. In my work with children in my psychology practice, I've learned that a therapist can only take a child so far in their understanding of skills and strategies. It's the co-regulators in a child's world, the parents, teachers, and other caregivers who are invaluable to the lasting emotional wellness and growth of a child. So moving forward, I will intentionally be a space for parents and teachers raising and teaching neurodivergent youth. Some posts will lean more towards parenting and some more towards education. I encourage you to stay for it all. Parents need to hear the perspectives of our teachers and educators need to hear the perspective of parents. I truly believe that listening to the challenges and successes of each other is not only missing from the current conversation in parenting and education, but is the key to building collaborative relationships that will foster the success for our kids. So for the next four weeks, I'll be talking directly to educators. Parents, please stay and listen in. I hope it's helpful for everyone. So today we are talking directly to teachers about how you don't actually have to be a special educator to teach a neurodiverse group of learners. I know it feels like you might need to, but you don't. There are three things that I think you must do. So I'm gonna take you through these three things. So how did we get here? Over the last 50 years, American classrooms have become more and more diverse. In neurodiversity, this is both a good thing and a hard thing. So there are all different types of learners that are being included in one classroom. So nearly 47 years ago, Public Law 94-142 was passed by Congress, ensuring that all children had a right to a free and appropriate public education, which emphasizes special education and related services designed to meet their unique needs. That's a quote from the law. At that time, the law was entitled, quote, Education of All Handicapped Children Act of 1975. And it stated that, quote, handicapped children received special education and related services in the least restrictive environment commensurate with their needs. In other words, children should be educated with their same age peers as much as possible 
as determined by the Students Individualized Education Plan team, or the IEP team, which includes educators and parents. So in 1997, the law was renamed Individuals with Disabilities Education Act and was reauthorized in 2004 and amended in 2015. So the law continues to evolve. However, the language that was first established in 1975 remains. So while we are all celebrating the right for all children to have access to an education, we've been playing catch up ever since 1975 to help teachers and administrators create this sound education for students with variable learning needs. So how exactly are teachers trained? So generally speaking, teachers either receive training to become a special education teacher or a general education teacher. And I'm talking generally here about elementary school. Yet when we advocate for children to receive education in the least restrictive environment, this means that we're educating many neurodiverse learners in the general education classroom with teachers who may not be up to date and may not have received up-to-date training on how to meet the needs of these students. So in addition to this, many of these students' needs are very inconsistent and variable. They may have high needs in one area, so they're able to do the curriculum in the general education room, but they might have executive functioning or emotional weaknesses that make maintaining focus or sustaining their energy throughout the day difficult. So yes, many of these students are taught through a team approach with time learning from both the general ed teacher and the special education teacher. Yet there are so many classroom teachers I talk with who may have only received one class in college or graduate school on managing behaviors, otherwise known as students feeling overwhelmed by learning. Not to mention there are many lateral entry teachers and now substitute teachers after the pandemic who may not have had any training at all in supporting, supporting neurodiverse learners. So one common misconception is that you actually have to have a special education degree to be an effective general education teacher these days, but I don't think that's necessarily true. If you're an elementary educator tasked with teaching a neurodiverse group of learners, read on for my top three things needed to be an effective educator for all elementary students. So where can we go from here? As an elementary educator, you're faced with teaching a standardized curriculum to a group of very non-standardized brains. You know each child is unique, but it's hard to figure out where to support and where to push for independence. You're also expected to emphasize a set of school-wide behavioral expectations that are attainable for some of your students, but not for others. Not because they aren't trying hard enough, but simply because they don't have the impulse control or the emotional regulation skills yet to manage the demands of learning. If you wake up worried about your students because you don't know how to help them, you're not alone. Teachers are incredibly passionate and caring people. At times, you might even struggle with boundaries because you just want to help so much. Plus, you're exhausted trying to figure all of this out. Hey y'all, I'm excited to announce that registration is now open for my summer workshops for elementary educators. We will be joining each other live via Zoom on Wednesday mornings in July to learn about reframing behavior, designing social emotional lesson plans, how to write social stories that work, and also how to teach children about each other's neurodiversity. To learn more, go to learnwithdremily.com slash summer. Now back to the show. So try focusing on these three things. Number one, 
never just never stop learning because these kids are our teachers. As a child psychologist and former school psych, so much of what I learned over the years actually wasn't in graduate school. That was a wonderful foundation, but in my field work and the 15 years following in the therapy room and consulting with parents and teachers, I learned most everything else. So you will gain knowledge and confidence with every child you help, but also rely on your colleagues for ideas. Your special education, school psychology, occupational therapy, and speech language pathology colleagues are full of knowledge related to supporting unique learners and differentiating instruction from, for variable student needs. Attend as many professional development opportunities as you can on mental health, executive functioning, and supporting the anxiety of learning. Number two, get curious. Get curious about why kids are having a hard time and not giving you a hard time. Let me explain. So yes, externalizing behavior is so hard to be in the room with, but it's an even harder experience for the child who is feeling it in their body. So there are times when a safety plan has to be in place to keep everyone safe. But there's also so much more we can do and preventing emotional overwhelm of a student rather than only responding to it. So get curious about what skill is lacking for the student. Are they uncomfortable with something in the environment and don't know how to safely communicate their emotions? Then we need to teach them to notice their uncomfortable feeling and develop a developmentally appropriate plan to communicate this feeling to a trusted adult. Yes, we will miss some of these triggers and have to respond to behavior at times. But if you see a pattern, there is something we can do to get ahead and prevent the emotional overwhelm. In other words, the behavior. Number three, take exceptional care of yourself because number one and number two, take a lot of energy. Yes, you should be paid more because you absolutely deserve to be respectfully compensated for all that you do for our children. But if you are still a teacher after the pandemic, your motivation for teaching likely goes beyond a paycheck. You likely love to see a child's face light up when they finally figure out a concept or when a child finally feels proud of themselves for accomplishing a new skill that they've tried so hard to master. These moments are deeply rewarding and you love making a difference in the lives of children. But one thing I know to be true as a therapist and for teachers is that constantly giving out compassionate care to others takes an incredible amount of energy from the helper. So you need to practice radical self-care. I'm talking about self-care beyond, far beyond manicures, pedicures, and year-end teacher gifts. These are great. They feel great and are so appreciated, but they're band-aids on the deeper fatigue you likely feel as a compassionate giver. You must take exceptional care of yourself to make this teacher life sustainable. So I'm talking back to basics here, prioritizing your sleep, moving your body, regulating yourself, staying hydrated, setting boundaries, doing things that you love and enjoy in your downtime, knowing your cues for rest and asking your school at your school family and your home family for help. These ideas are are both simple and radical. We are all just individual nervous systems walking around, interacting with each other, and you must have the energy to hold space for a child who is having a hard time while also problem solving a way to get ahead of it 
if their emotional response is becoming a pattern. This takes a lot of energy, which you can learn to manage, and you have to learn to manage if you're gonna make this teacher life sustainable. So if you wanna learn more about how to manage your energy and beat burnout this school year, I've created a free video series for teachers available the week of October 17th. You can learn more about it and sign up for the free resource at learnwithdremily.com slash beat burnout. I hope to see you there and I hope to see you next week with some new ideas.